When a disinvested neighborhood finally receives investment and new amenities and new interest and vibrancy, but doesn't have the buy-in of those in the community and isn't rooted in what they want and dream of for themselves, we see gentrification. The community is going to change. It's changing now, right? Um, I think sometimes we don't know the level of transiency that's happening in the neighborhood because the people that are circling in and out look very much like the residents that are already there. But then when people start to come in that look different, um, and I'm primarily talking about race, but also the socioeconomic piece of things, it's much more in your face. Gentrification is nothing new for many urban neighborhoods across America. Many who stand in its path feel helpless to fight back against it. The prevailing winds of the market feel too strong for many who want to both enjoy economic growth in the neighborhood while not being forced to move out. Downtown's dramatic transformation continues at a remarkable rate. Gentrification has brought hip new cafes, bars, and restaurants to old neighborhoods, and luxury housing has raised rents and property values across the board down here. Welcome to This Is Community, a podcast series by Purpose-Built Communities. In the last episode, we heard from Michelle Matthews about the cognitive dissonance around equity in the American psyche. In this episode, we'll see the fight against gentrification in Orlando, Florida and Raleigh, North Carolina. This is episode seven, a community of choice. Here's Eddie Moriton from Lyft Orlando. I was told with great certainty that our only agenda was to tear down their homes and build parking lots. That was tough for Eddie and the others at Lyft Orlando to hear as they worked to build community buy-in on their vision for revitalizing the neighborhood around Camping World Stadium. They had good intentions of revitalizing the neighborhood for all. And so it was hard and felt unfair, but after a while you start to learn that it's justified. Um, that they have good reason to be suspicious of guys with big smiles like me, uh, especially with a lot of powerful white people behind the curtain. Historically, as Eddie came to realize, people like him had been like an exit sign blinking on in the movie theater, letting the residents know that it's time to start thinking about moving. But that just helped to motivate the team. For us in Orlando, I think the founding group behind our efforts um, has primarily been motivated by this idea of justice. Uh, this notion that the business community in particular has a role to play in being able to right wrongs from the history uh, in our community, but do it in a way that is both the right thing to do and the smart thing to do when you think about the economics of our community. When new mixed-income housing in Orlando got off the ground and was successful, many saw the specter of gentrification looming. But Eddie and the others at Lyft Orlando were ready to help the residents understand and feel empowered about what was happening in their neighborhood. People are speculating, knocking on doors, making offers, um, people who look very different from the neighborhood moving in. And it's not like you want to um, directly restrict that in any way, in ways that are unjust, but you can understand folks' concern and fear that they would lose the um, kind of authenticity uh, of the neighborhood. And we've tried to do a lot to make sure that we're in direct relationship uh, with as close to 100% of the population of our impact area so that we can make sure that if folks are experiencing the kind of things that lead to displacement, whether their rent went up or they have some instability uh, causing event like losing their job occur, that we have 
have interventions in place to help them and hopefully keep them in the neighborhood uh, and to understand that as we bring in new developments they would not see that as writing on the wall that's probably for other people and I should go to the next move-in special somewhere else but that they would know we're here to serve them. But if the residents can't afford the new things that are coming new restaurants, boutique shops, quality grocery stores, more businesses, displacement will happen anyway if left to the market working to really advance their economic position. Uh, and then we're actually doing things to attract a lot of young professionals, minority professionals in the sororities and fraternities in town as well, to look at the neighborhood, to be interested in being part of the story so that uh, among those who move in who might be outsiders or new to the neighborhood, there'd be more of that ethnic uh, continuity and integrity. Eddie remembers meeting one woman who gave a poignant but clear-eyed warning to him about what was coming to the neighborhood. This one lady put it to me, she uh, heard about our plans for housing and all we were looking to do, and it was obvious to her how this was going to change the neighborhood. If we finish the three uh, planned phases we have uh, for housing development, we'll almost double the population of our footprint. And she said, you know, I don't expect the neighborhood to be 100% black forever, but I just don't want it to be like we were never here. And those have been convicting and haunting words for me to kind of keep in front of us that sort of the softer relational word of working towards building a proud neighborhood with great African-American heritage. Gentrification isn't unique to Orlando or any other city in America. Kia Baker and the Southeast Raleigh Promise work every day against the market forces pushing residents out of their family homes. There's a very dynamic culture, a lot of changes right now. One of the things that we're fighting, um, or one of the things that we're dealing with um, and pressing back on is, uh, are the forces of gentrification. Um, and so when we think about this concept of neighborhood revitalization without displacement, uh, we're uniquely challenged in that we are not, um, we're not trying to, uh, we're not trying to bring uh, additional market forces, right, to raise property values. That's happening naturally. What we're trying to do is preserve spaces for the people um, who created our community, who've been here historically. Southeast Raleigh has a strong cultural legacy that the residents are very proud of and want to keep. Southeast Raleigh is a predominantly African-American community. We are about 78% African-American at this point and about 10% um, Latinx. Kia is one of those residents proud of that legacy. That Southeast Raleigh is the community that made me into who I am. I am a native of Southeast Raleigh, um, grew up in that community my entire life. My family is still there. Um, so the people that I am working with and working for are my relatives, my friends, my classmates, um, and people that I'm deeply connected to. Uh, so the work is incredibly important for me personally. And she, along with the others at the Southeast Raleigh Promise, are looking at the neighborhood revitalization they're working on as more than just building new buildings and having more students graduate. We really envision not only the physical neighborhood revitalization and not only the opportunities for children, you know, to have high quality education from birth into career, um, but really changing people. Clarence Leitner, the first black mayor of Raleigh and the first black mayor of a metro city in the South, had a quote that Kia thinks about every day. People always want to talk about the brick and mortar. They want to talk about highways and buildings, but it's not about the physical 
structures, right? It's really about the people. And so I try to keep that at the heart of everything that we do. We don't just want to revitalize our streets. We want to revitalize our hearts and our souls um, and making sure that we are stronger overall. With that approach to revitalizing the soul of the community as well, the Southeast Rally Promise takes an enlightened perspective on fighting against gentrification. Neighborhood change, neighborhood changeover, gentrification is not unique to our community. It happens everywhere. Um, it's completely cyclical. Um, if we if we are really smart about it, we can probably predict when and where it would happen um, a little bit better. Uh, but for us, it's really about preserving spaces, you know, and so looking at creative ways that we can ensure that we can um, keep people in place, um, how we can turn our community into a community of choice for all people to make sure that people can really vote with their feet and stay exactly where they want to. They measure their success at revitalizing the soul of their community by how empowered and engaged their neighbors are. So they made sure and continue to make sure to include those neighbors in the discussions and decision-making about the future of Southeast Raleigh. We value resident decision-making ability. And so we really wanna cultivate opportunities for people to um, not only be at the table to make decisions, but to gain all of the skills and, and really fill up their toolbox with ways that they can be advocates for their own lives and the lives of their children. And they didn't just want a small section of the community to participate in that decision-making. They wanted to make sure that everyone was represented. Economic diversity ranges from people who are extremely low income uh, to because of the way cities were set up. Um, you know, some of the first black doctors in Raleigh lived in Southeast Raleigh. Some of the first black lawyers, you know, teachers, principals. Um, and so we have a wide range of folks who um, have done very well with, for themselves and their families, as well as those who, who get caught in the system um, and continue to struggle. And we want all of those voices at the table. And their approach to this community engagement and decision making was to create spaces for everyone to have a say in what comes next and then listen to them. We invested quite a, a good amount of time in a community listening process um, part of last year and this year. And one of the things that we heard overwhelmingly from our residents was that they really wanted to see um, intergenerational housing. So opportunities for our elders to live um, very close to and be able to interact with our children. Um, opportunities for um, young adult parents to be able to have access to older parents um, and really not separating the idea of you know having a senior housing community uh, separate from you know regular family housing and everything else and so I really think that when we think about human-centered design and the way people work and the way that people interact with each other we can be really smart about what we build you know about the built environment and incorporating ways to to create that natural connectivity. Listening to the community helped give them direction for how to revitalize the neighborhood and it built community buy-in because everyone knew that they had a seat at the table. In the middle of 2017, the Raleigh Natural Science Museum had an exhibit titled Race, Are We So Different? In August 2017, the Southeast Raleigh Promise partnered with them on an event. Rap on race, where do we go from here? It was a panel discussion slash town hall meeting about how race and equity has played a role nationally and specifically in Raleigh. And my dream for that event was that the people in the room uh, 
would be people who normally would not be in the same space together, you know? And so we had uh, a lot of residents uh, who normally would not necessarily be in the same space with some of our elected officials, who would not necessarily be in the same space with some of our corporate leaders, who would not necessarily be in the same space with um, some of those from our philanthropic community. I mean, it was just a beautiful night, you know, lots of learning, um, lots of understanding what's really going on in our community, but more importantly, lots of relationship building. Kia had a similar feeling as Othello Meadows did in episode three when he held an event at the Highlander Accelerator building. This could be 700 different things, but they all bring that feeling of this is a community, this is uh, a positive place to be, this is enriching to my life. Um, so that, that was the first thought I had was when it came down the stairs and I see everybody talking and laughing and interacting, I said, this is what we want to create. Kia saw that same vision for the future that night at the Raleigh Natural Science Museum. That feeling keeps her and her team going every day. Uh, because it's a long, it's a long road uh, and we're gonna need uh, everybody's participation. In the next episode of This Is Community, we'll see how Connect Community in Houston has had to adapt their efforts to a melting pot of a neighborhood. Uh, at KIPP, it's like when kids are being dropped off in the morning, it's like uh, the United Nations. Um, women in saris, in hijab, in Guatemalan, you know, natural, native dress. So it's, it's really, I, I find it fascinating. And after a devastating hurricane, Breaking news, Hurricane Harvey barreling into the Texas coastline as a Category 4 storm with 130 mile an hour winds. It's the first Category 4 storm to hit the U.S. in over a decade. Listen to This Is Community wherever podcasts are available or on purposebuiltcommunities.org slash podcast, where you'll find more information on the Purpose Built model and the stories from this podcast. This podcast is created in partnership with HL Strategy, our executive producers are Aton Davidson, Howard Lawley, and Sherry Crawley. Our producer, director, and editor is Brady Hummel. Mixing and mastering is by Matt Honkinen, and our music is from Pitchwire. If you like this series, be sure to subscribe and share it. I'm Alexandra Wiggins for Purpose Built Communities, and this is Community. Community.